Because it's not enough just to look back and see who's gone before. Amen? It's inspiring. It's motivating. But at the end of the day, something has to take off within us. Something has to be impassioned within us. Something has to happen for us to actually begin the run. So, I've got some of my running clothes on today. They probably look uh, a little worn, and they are. Because a couple years ago, I started running. And by running, I mean going outside and attempting to move faster than my walking pace. And uh, I'll tell you what, for the first summer, it was uh, awful. I would run as fast as I could, make it to the stop sign. And then walk until I felt like I might be able to run again. And then I'd run as fast as I could until I felt like I was going to die. And then I'd walk. And I would do this and I would time myself. And uh, eventually over the summer my time got a little bit better. But I never jogged more than one mile without stopping. It was just awful. It was horrible. The next summer, I, I, I took the winter off. I was so proud of myself, took the winter off and uh, got back into it. Because you know why you don't run in the winter, right? It's cold outside. Don't do that. So I took the winter off, started back in last spring. And this time, by this time, I had an iPhone. So I was like, yes, because you know what makes you a better runner is technology, right? An iPhone. So I can download an app. And actually, believe it or not, I say that jokingly, but it did help me become a better runner because what it did was, there's this app on there called C25K, and the C stands for couch, which is where I spend a lot of my time. And uh, the 2 stands for getting somewhere, and the 5K means being able to run 5K, which is about 3.1 miles. And so I downloaded this app, uh, and, uh, and I took off, and what the app would do is it would say, all right, warm up. So you'd warm up by walking for five minutes, and then it'd say, now jog. And I'd be like, I got this. I'd take off jogging, and 60 seconds later, it would say, now walk. And I was like, yes, I am a runner. I got this. And then we would walk for 30 seconds, and it would say, now jog. And I'm like, me, me, and, me and Siri or whoever that is talking to me, we got something good going on here. So I take off jogging again after 60 seconds. Uh, now walk. I'm like, not only is she, un- is she helping me become a better runner, she understands my needs. And so I'm walking, and then she says, now jog. And so it goes, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And then she made me run 90 seconds. And I'm like, Siri, I thought we had an understanding. I thought, I, I thought you knew 90 seconds. That's like almost the whole distance of our street. And uh, I don't know. So, but slowly but surely, I stuck with the plan. And I'll never forget when it was time for, it was time for the 10-minute straight jog. I knew it was coming. I'd been looking ahead. And I knew it was coming. And I thought, I'm going to die on the street. My wife and kids will find me whenever they decide to wake up. And I'll be laying down here. Groundhog will already have eaten half of my body. And I take off, and I'm jogging, and I pass the five-minute mark. I pass the seven-minute mark. 
And I'm like, I, I might be able to do this. And I get to the, the nine-minute mark, and I'm like, all right, I'm not, I'm not telling you I was running fast, but I wasn't walking. And I make it to 10 minutes, and she says, now walk. And you talk about sweet words, sweet words in my ears. And I'm like, yes. And then after that, she built me up to 15, built me up to 20, and built me up to 25 and then they, they expect that you can be able to run probably in around 30 minutes of 5K by the time you've done this. And so I ran, I, I, I jogged 30 minutes nonstop. And it only took right around four weeks to get me from where I couldn't even get past a mile to get to a little over three. Now, that may not sound anything to you. In fact, Here's, here's what happened. So, so by last summer, by last June, July, I feel like I'm really a runner. I, I've accomplished something, right? I've, run, I've jogged 30 minutes straight. I've done the equivalent of a 5K. And so I, I was willing to tell people, hey, you know what? I started running. And when I tell people that, here's what happened. Typically, I got about four responses. The first response, I know you'll find this hard to believe, the first response, uh, that, and the most common response I got when I told people I was running was, uh, I could never do that. I could never run. And let me clarify by saying, there are some people, some of you all here, that legitimately cannot run. You've got a physical problem, you've got uh, you know, a health issue, uh, and you can't run. And I understand that. that that's not who these, these people were that were saying that. These people were able-bodied people. I, there, there's a, a, a friend at work uh, on the teller line, and she looks at me, and she's like, I can't. She's 24 years old and in perfect health, as far as I know. I could never do that. I can walk, but I can't run. And other, it's so many people, I could never do that. And you don't know what to say because, you know, all I could say was, you know what? A couple years ago, I could never do that either. But I did it. And then, uh, here's another response. Some people would say, ah, you're going to hurt your knees. Right? Yeah. I started running. Aren't you proud of it? You're going to hurt your knees. In fact, uh, it, wasn't, it was just a few weeks ago. I went home during lunch and hadn't got my jog in that morning because you know I don't run in the morning, right? Because it's too dark. And so... I hadn't got my jog, so I got it in during, the, uh, during lunch break, and my neighbors wanted to talk to me. Don't you hate it when that happens? And um, so they start talking to me after I, I haven't even really cooled down. It's 90 degrees outside, and I feel like I'm going to have a coronary attack. And my neighbors start talking to me, and my neighbor looks at me. He's like, you're going to hurt your knees. You know, he's seen, me, he's seen me out running, you know, 150 miles over the last uh, months and years, and you're going to hurt your knees. And so my response to that has become, well, my father's side has diabetes. My mother's side has heart problems. And so when I sat down and finally did the calculations, knees are much easier to replace than either of those. So I'm going to go with the knee problems. But people say that, right? They say, I can never do that. You're going to hurt your knees. Right? And, and then other people... Other people say, well, I, I, I don't know, I, I can't find the time, right? You ever, you ever been one of those people? I can't find the time. 
right? And there's always excuses that go along, but not finding the time. They're like, well, when do you do it? How do you have the time? You know, you got two kids, you got a wife, you, you got all these things. And I'm like, I got my butt out of the bed at 5 o'clock this morning. That's where I found the time. Believe it or not, I actually didn't even have to go looking for the time. It was there. When I woke up, it was there. But how many times? I don't don't have the time. And then, you know, some people say, well, you know, I'm glad you've you've been able to do that. But I just don't. There's some people that are just, it's not even worth telling them. You know, I started running. I started going to the gym. I started doing this. It's not even worth telling them. But there's, there's all of these things. And the writer of Hebrews knows this. Isn't that amazing? Isn't, isn't that why we love Scripture? The, the writers are inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, and they're not idiots. They know that what they're writing isn't just, uh, you know, maybe it's Paul, maybe it's somebody else that's writing to the Hebrews. He knows he's not just writing to the Hebrews. 2,000 years later, we can glean from this, and he knows. That any time you embark on something that's going to challenge you, that's something that's going to take your, your everything, getting up early, pushing past when you're in pain, and he knows that there's going to be things. And so he says, if we're going to do this, first of all, we've got the motivation we need. We've got the people that have gone before and they've shown us this can happen. But then, he says, once we know that and realize that, you've got to realize in order to really run, if you want to run, you've got to get rid of all of the things that, that hang on to you. He calls them, in, in a lot of translation, it, it says, get rid of the weights. He calls them weights. And then he says, get rid of the sin. So we, we know if he, if he says the weights and then he says the sin, the weights aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves, right? How many know that you can have a, too much of a really good thing? Says amen to the person who ate seconds on dessert this week, right? You can have too much of a good thing. Sometimes good things, sometimes blessings in our life can actually become hindrances to us. And the writer of Hebrews says you've got to get, you get rid of that stuff. You've got to get rid of that. You've got you to untangle and throw off everything. Everybody say everything. everything. He didn't say some things, or maybe this thing or that thing. He said everything that would be a hindrance to you, that would weigh you down, you've got to get rid of it. In the stadiums, in the the uh, ancient times, uh, especially in Greece where the marathon began and where the Olympics began in the stadiums, when they would run, they were nearly naked. That's, I'm sorry, that's southern for naked. They were nearly, I give homage to my home pastor from Louisville, Kentucky, naked. That's how they did it in the ancient days. They had next to nothing on when they were running. And if you've looked out your window, we haven't changed a whole lot in 2,000 years. The runner's shorts, right? the other pieces that are or may not be there. But they get rid because there's, there's a reason. 
because you don't want anything to catch a little bit of wind, right? It's true in swimming too, right? That's what we heard a couple years ago when they had the uh, Summer Olympics and Michael Phelps and, and the American team is doing their thing and they're winning all these awards. They're saying, oh, well, you know what? It's, some of it's due, some of the speed and some of the records are due to because, because of the, the technology that makes those suits uh, to where there's not a seam in them and there's all of this specially crafted gear that they have it so when they go into that, it's almost like it's just a part of their body. Nothing can catch the water. Nothing can catch the wind and, and make them lose a, a tenth or a, even a hundredth of a second. And the writer of Hebrews knows this. He says, you've got to cast off. You've got to throw away everything that hinders. And we all walk around with weights. We all walk around with stuff. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got stuff. Yeah, look, look, look at him. Say it loud. You got stuff. You need to throw it away. You're right? And I ain't talking about your house, your attic, your garage. I'm talking about just stuff in your life that you got to get rid of. And the more I thought about it, and the more I studied, and the more I looked at Hebrews, I thought, you know what? It really boils down to one thing, one big classification for the weights that we carry around. That's excuses, right? That's why I don't run in the winter. It's too cold. That's why I don't run in the morning. It's too dark. That's why I don't run in the summer. It's too hot. I don't run at night because I don't want to take a shower before bed. I take one when I get up in the morning. I find all, in fact, here, here you go. Here's, here's just recently. I'm talking about just in the month of August. Here are some of the excuses that I've made for not running. Too hot. It's too dark. It's too wet. Right? We don't run in the rain because I don't want to get wet. Uh, I was too tired. I got up one morning, looked outside. It was too foggy. Uh, There was one day I didn't run because I didn't want to get my clothes sweaty. Just telling you the truth. Right? It went along with the next reason because I said, oh, well, I want to run tomorrow. So I don't want to get my clothes sweaty, then I have to wash them or find some other ones. So I'll run tomorrow. And, and then I didn't run one day because I ran yesterday. Uh, one day I didn't run because I was afraid my knee might hurt. And then uh, one day I woke up and uh, needed to look something up on the internet, so I didn't run that day. Those just in the last, uh, I've probably, just in the last four weeks, let's say. Those are my excuses why I didn't run. And when I thought a little bit more about excuses, I thought, you know what? They really boil down to, that one main category really comes just in two parts. Excuses are either born out of fear Or, and I wanted to stop it there because we live so much of our lives without even realizing it. Uh, We live so much of our lives in fear. We're just afraid. And you might say, I'm not afraid. I don't have fear. Well, yeah, you do. And people know you do because just pay attention next time when you watch TV. And the commercials that come on, don't even worry about the shows right now. Just the commercials Pay attention to how many of those commercials play to your fears. 
Fears about how people are going to perceive you. Fears about how you're going to look. Fears that you're going to leak in public. Fears that your baby's going to leak in public. Fears that you're going to have this problem or that problem or the other problem. Fears that if you take the medicine, you'll have a whole other group of problems. <laughs> that typically, to me, sound much worse than the original problem. We can get rid of your acid reflux. Uh, you might never walk again. It plays to fear and fear and fear in your life over and over and over again. And isn't that where so many of our excuses come from? I don't get up in the morning and run because it's too dark. Because I'm afraid of the dark. Well, not really. I'm afraid of what might be in the dark. And you think that's funny, but in the light, just a few weeks ago, we looked at, our children looked out of the house when they were with the babysitter. They looked out and in the neighbor's yard stood two buffalo. No joke. Now, if buffalo come out in the daylight, what do you think is out there in the darkness? I don't know what you think, but I think I need to stay inside. We're afraid. There's fear. We're afraid of the unknown, right? What might be out there? What, would I, what if I do start this race? If I do start running? Or maybe people that used to run and then they got disillusioned. Well, if I start running this race again, I'm talking about the Christian race now. If I start running the race again, what, what might, I don't, I'm not sure what that will require of me. I might, I'm not sure how much pain that might cause. And my bed feels so good. This spot, this place right here feels so good. The writer of Hebrews says you've got to throw off everything that would be a hindrance and so I, I look and I'm like oh yeah I've got hindrances here and I, I need to get rid of them and let's see what's the, this hindrance ah there's it the past how many know the past can be quite the hindrance in our race the past for a lot of people which is filled with pain and regret and harm and injury Emotional damage, the past can be such a hindrance. It's not a sin, it's not sinful, it's a weight. And how many times do those things hold us back from really pursuing what God has called us to pursue? The race He's called us to run. And some people, I'm not talking about the far distant past, some, some people, maybe even somebody here today, it's just a few days or weeks ago. But it's a weight. It's a hindrance. It's keeping you from running the race. Something else here. Ah, oh, the elements. That's what we've been talking about, right? The elements outside. The rain, the fog, the dark, the cold, the heat. Everything. And we're scared. Well, you know, the, the uncontrollable factors, we'll call it. I don't know tomorrow if it'll be raining when I wake up to run. I don't know how hot or humid it will be. I can't control that. I wish they had an app for that, but they don't. But the elements, those things outside of our control, and how many times does it become a weight to us because, well, I'm not sure if I can control these things, so I'm not sure I want to run the race. I can't control what he's going to say or what she's going to do or how this is going to go. I'm not sure if these things will all work out. And so I'm just, again, I'm afraid. 
or wait, here's something else. Wait, here, here we go. The terrain. Right? Well, I, in order to run, I really need a flat surface, and it can't be too hard, right? And so we wait, and uh, I don't have enough money to go to the gym. I can't go to the Y, so I'm not sure. There's no sidewalks in my neighborhood, and so I'm afraid of the, you know, the cars, or there's hills, and me and hills don't get along, uh, even when we're walking. So running, I can't even imagine. Like the terrain, we're scared of it. That's another thing that's out of our control. And we run the Christian race and sometimes we wind up in places that we didn't ever really plan on being because it's hard and it's hilly and it's rocky. Right? Jesus looks at His disciples and said, in this life you'll, you'll have trouble. And I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I want to run into trouble. Right? We usually run away from trouble. But Jesus is saying, you'll have trouble, so run the race. And you're like, run into trouble. I'm not sure I want to do that. The writer says, throw off everything that hinders. And ah, here, the cares, the cares. That's probably the biggest amount of stuff, right? The cares of this life. You remember Jesus says, all right, you want to run the race? Yes, I want to run. Just let me go home first. I've got to take care of some stuff. Jesus says you, you need to learn a lesson about the cares of life. You want to run? Yes, I want to run. Just let me go home and tend to my family first. Jesus says you've got some stuff to learn about cares. Because when you decide to run, you've got to be willing to go completely, wholeheartedly with all your might. And when he says hate your mom and dad, he doesn't mean hate your mom and dad, but he says you need to be as committed to God as you've ever been to any single person in your life. Run. Let us run the cares of life. You remember Jesus told the parable one time and he talked about the seed being dropped and some of it grew. Some of it sprouted up and started growing. But it quickly died. Why? Because... Because... It didn't have good roots. And so when the elements hit. And Jesus later explains to the disciples the cares of this world, most of which have to do with money and pride in some form or another. He says they just couldn't make it. It just wasn't enough there. The cares. And the writer says, throw it off. And so, I don't know about you, but if I went out tomorrow, yesterday I got about, 2.7 miles in. Now, now, some of y'all are like, that's really good. James is sitting over here like, oh, that's a pretty good warm-up, right? I, got, I did 2.7 miles in, and I, I beat my, the time before, uh, the, the day before I had done it in uh, a little over 24 minutes. And I got under uh, 20, just a little under 24 minutes. I felt real good about myself. Until I look at James when he posts on Facebook and says, "Man, I did a six and a half minute mile, and my second minute was hor- my second mile was horrible. It was it was seven and a half minutes." And I'm like, "I did seven and a half minutes before. That's when I died, right?" But there's there's some people that they go fast and some people that go slow. But nobody's going to move to the speed that they need to move when you've got stuff strapped on, right? And you've got weights and cares and hindrances. So you've got to be willing to get rid of it. But that's not enough, right? 
There's one more thing we got to address before we can go because he doesn't just say throw off the weights. What's he say? And the sin. And we don't have to... We don't have to just say, well, he's talking about one specific sin because he's talking about any sin and every sin because uh, you and I both know that if we are allowing sin to be in our life, it hinders our communication with God. So it's any sin and every sin uh, that we have in our life that are keeping us from full and, and clear and perfect fellowship with God. However... A lot of people look at the book of Hebrews, and especially as you read through chapter 11, you realize, oh, the writer's got a point, right? He's he's really getting after something. And what he's saying, it seems, to a lot of people, is there's one sin that's paramount for these people that he's writing to, for the Jewish Christians that he's writing to. There's one sin that is paramount over all the other sins. And it's not any of the sins that you and I read about in the paper that get the politicians to craft legislation. Now, the paramount sin for the the Hebrew Christians was unbelief. Right? Makes sense because there's a chapter before that we call the chapter of faith. And then he moves into this. uh, And so for the Jewish Christians, it was unbelief. Do do we really believe and have a saving faith that in Jesus Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fast forward 2,000 years, uh, and I thought, well, what if we had to really classify and say, well, there, is there one paramount sin that's bigger than all the other sins? Is there one sin that really, really captures or encapsulates everything else? Hold on to your seats. I'm going to tell you what it is. Hold on tighter. There you go. Unbelief. I knew it was going to blow you away. In 2,000 years, uh, it's still the paramount problem. Unbelief. You say, well, I I believe. I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. I I believe that that Jesus uh, died for my sins, was resurrected. I believe and I commend you for that belief, but do you believe that He's good enough to lead this church into the next place in the race that we're running right now? Do you? Do you believe that, that He's able to take whatever talent it is you have to offer to this church, to the world, to your friends, your family, your social clubs? Uh, do you believe that He's able to take whatever that is, as small as it looks to you, uh, and allow it to become something great that He uses in His kingdom? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus really can mend and make all the things in your life that seem so out of whack that He can bring them together and make good of them? Do you really believe God keeps His promises? It's the paramount sin You can come to church, you can worship, you can cry, you can jump up and down, you can go to small group, uh, you can have a part in lots of things and still have this sin that's keeping you from really running the race. Do you really believe that whatever it takes, that whatever the cost, that whatever you give, that Jesus will do the full work of redemption in your life? Most of us believe, but we've got these little pieces over here. I believe Jesus has saved me. I believe uh, that my name is written in the 
Lamb's book of life, but I do have these little issues. And I'm just not sure. Paramount sin of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews says, you know what? You've got to get rid of all the little things that hinders and then the sin that so easily entangles us. We, we get entangled when we don't believe. And he says, if you can get to that place where you throw off everything that hinders and you lay aside, we could go on for my hour and a half, but I told you, we're going to cut it short. He says, if we can get rid of those things, then we can run. Ah, you can move with those things, but you can't move at the speed God has called you to move at. He says, you throw off everything that entangles, or everything that's a weight, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run. Hit your neighbor, say, let us run. Now, let's, let's do it southern style. Let's run. Hit him. Let's run. He's calling us to run the, the Christian race. So let's wrap it up. I want to wrap it up. And, and I thought, well, you know what? So what does that mean to, to run the race? How do, how do we know how fast or slow to go? Because that's a problem, right? I figured out pretty early on one of the things that was keeping me back from running. This, is, this sounds crazy. One of the things that was keeping me back was the music I was listening to. Because all that sinful music, no, it wasn't that at all. It was because I would try to match my pace with the rhythm. And sometimes when you're running a fast song, that's good. But sometimes when a not-so-fast song comes on, and I'm not talking about Celine Dion, but, you know, every rock album has those two or three tracks that shouldn't be on there, right? That are just too slow. Right? Back in the 80s, we called those the best songs. Right? Um, But... When we, when, we, when we run, there are things that we don't even realize can be affecting us. So I switch, believe it or not, I switch to podcasts. Sometimes, I, I, I do my best, sometimes it would get so boring, but the thing was, I would try to get podcasts or sermons that would catch my attention, and the way I explained it was this. I would actually run better and have a better pace because I wasn't trying to match my feet with something, and also I got interested in what, whoever it was was reading or preaching was saying, I forgot that I felt like I was going to die. Which is important, right? In fact, that's one of the reasons, is it not, why we come to church? Because if you get out there and you live your life disconnected from other believers, uh, it's really hard to think about anything else except the fact that you feel like you're going to die. You've been there. You disconnect. And it's... Only me. In fact, it's interesting. Right? I was trying to think, well, can we, can we talk about some places in Scripture where, where people ran? Well, the first thing that came to mind was Elijah. You remember he ran. In fact, he probably ran the fastest 10K, 13.1, however far it was that he had to run. He probably ran it the fastest of anybody in history because he beat Ahab who was riding in chariots pulled by horses. Empowered by the Spirit of God, Elijah runs, and he runs fast, and he runs well. He runs like the wind. And when he gets to where he's going, you know what? He realizes uh, Jezebel still hates him, and Jezebel wants to kill him. 
And he ends up in a cave saying, God, you do the honors. You kill me because there's nobody else who loves you. And God says, you're right, nobody except 4,000 people over here. Oh, did you forget about them? Because when you disconnect, so to, to run, to remind ourselves that, hey, wait a minute, I'm not doing life alone, I'm not running this race alone, is so very, very important. And so what do we do to run the best race we can? Here's something I want to say, and I hope that you will listen to my words. Jesus has one question for, for when we're not sure about running. And I think it's the same question. You remember when he goes to the guy who's been on his mat? He's been crippled for 39 years. That story rings in my ear because just 24 days ago, I turned 39. He's been crippled for the entirety of my life. And he lays there waiting, wanting to be healed, or at least maybe, maybe he does. We think you would if you're sitting there every day, but Jesus walks up to him and he doesn't say anything about the water. He doesn't say anything about the angel that they say comes to trouble the water. He doesn't say anything about all the other people that have been healed. Jesus comes to him and looks at the man and says, do you want to get well? Which sounds like the most ridiculous question that you would ever ask somebody who's never been well. But maybe that's the problem. He doesn't know what it's like to be well. And he's got all of these excuses, right? When somebody, when, when the water's troubled, I try to get there, somebody else comes, he gets in, and I can't ever... Do. All of these excuses born out of fear. Oh, I forgot to tell you the other one. We're not talking about it today, but sometimes our excuses are just based on plain laziness. But the guys, what if the guy does get in there and does get, what's that going to require? For 39 years, this is the only life I've ever known. What, what's it going to require of me? Jesus looks and does some pretty straightforward psychology work with the guy. He says, do you want to get well? And I think today, saying Life Church, individually, filling Fill in the blank with your name here. Do you want to run? Do you want to activate the faith that's within you to run the race that God's called you to run? Do you want to? I'm going to read. I don't do that very often in front of you, but I'm going to read because I feel like these words were very important and they were something I needed to share with you. You say, well, how do we run together as a congregation? I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to say it without any apology whatsoever. God calls people, calls a person, a man, a woman, to lead a congregation in order to help them know what pace to run at. And I want to tell you today, if we're going to run... If it's time to run and we're going to realize the motivation we have and we're going to activate what is within us. We have to realize that God has called a pastor to this congregation to set the pace for us to run. The pastor is the pace setter for the congregation. 
sometimes that's faster than the pace they were running before. Sometimes it's slower. But here's what I've learned in 20 years of ministry. There's one good way to tell whether the pace the pastor is is moving the congregation along in. There's one way to tell if that's a good pace. Are new people starting to run? Either people that used to run and stopped running, or people that never ran before. Are there new people that are joining in and beginning to run? If that's happening, it's a good pace for the congregation. And I know by experience, I'm not going to go into it, but I know by experience because I've led a congregation and I've led when I was running slower and nobody wanted to join because I was running too slow. And I've also led for about a year and a half where I was running fast. I was moving. I was going. I had dreams and visions and desires and plans uh, and nobody was joining because I was moving too fast. That was the year and a half before I turned in my resignation. But if new people, if you can look around here and see people that you didn't see three months, six months, a year ago, you can say we're running a good pace. And you don't have to say amen, but I want to say today that I'm thankful for a pastor who's willing to lead us in a run. And I'm thankful that I can look around and see not just one or two, but a lot of people who weren't running with us this time last year. I'm thankful for a pastor who is willing to lead us in this run and set the pace by what God's given him in his heart to do. The motivation behind nearly everything he does is a desire to see people who are far from God. Have you ever, ever heard Pastor Phil say that? To see people who are far from God, draw close to God, experience His love and goodness, and to work out their giftedness to the fullest capacity. He's always asking, how can we better do this? How can we see God's kingdom come for the tens of thousands of people in North North Knoxville? How can we better see to it that they have a chance to meet Jesus and to feel the compassion and love and mercy of Jesus? That's his desire. That's his call, his motivation. It's what drives him to his knees each day. It's what drives him to the Scriptures each day. It's what drives him to have coffee with you, to have lunch with somebody else, to play tennis with somebody else, and to maybe have dinner after that with somebody else. A desire to see people who are far from God come in close to God. And let me say this. A lot of times when we say talk about people far from God, you think about abject sinners who are stuck in miry, murky places, right? But all of us, Scripture says, all of us fall short of the glory of God. And all of us have those places in our lives that are far from God, and pastors just as concerned. And the leadership in this, in this congregation are just as concerned for us normal folk who aren't abject sinners, right? Such a worm. Well, that was before I met Jesus. Well, now I still got stuff. And then there's some places, there's some places where I'm far from God and know what we need to bring you closer. Thank God. I'm wrapping up. Thank God for a pastor that doesn't hunker down and wait for the rapture. Let me say that one more time. I thank God. I don't know about you, but I thank God for a pastor who isn't willing 
to hunker down and wait for the rapture, but actually prays for God to hold it back because there are too many people whose lamps still need oil, too many people who maybe this week will be awakened to the glory and goodness of God. So God, it'd be, yeah, it'd be really nice, but you, can, you wait just, can you wait just a little bit longer? Because there's more people that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. I thank God for a pastor that's willing to make us uncomfortable by challenging us to a more evangelistic lifestyle, to building relationships with as many people as possible, because maybe, just maybe, the next relationship will be the one which brings life to a person a couple, a family, an entire social group. I thank God for a pastor who's a pace setter and who believes that the approval of God is more important than the approval of me or any of you all. I thank God that he didn't just say, get out there and run, but he gives us men and women through the ages that say, hey, no, we'll run this race together and I'll even set the pace. And I want us to stand today, and I want to challenge you as we finish up at Gresham. Thank God for Gresham. Thank God for every one of you that found Life Church at Gresham. And thank God even more than that for every one of you that found life by God's Spirit because we were meeting here at Gresham.